to ask you a question, please. And I'd like you to answer it just to yourself. When was the last time that you came in touch with death? So, Peter, that sounds like a morbid theme. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll find out that he came in contact with death often. And um, we learn a lot about how we should deal with death as we get to know Jesus better and as we grow in our faith with him. And so last week, we started to speak about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we looked at the context in which that had taken place. We looked at the family that Jesus was very close to, the family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see that it was one of those families that he just felt so at home with. And I know for all of us, there are certain families that, and people that we just feel so at home with. Um, it's those families sometimes when we have nothing really to do. You don't mind knocking on their door and um, to walk in, kick your shoes off, stretch yourself out on their couch, and then you expect them to bring you a glass of wine and maybe a cup of coffee, and you just have a real chat, chit-chat for the next little while. Does that happen in your home? Ah, those are the type of people that's very, very easy just to walk into. Now, where I come from, the country where I grew up, that was the normal thing to do. And I remember with my parents, particularly my mother, people just loved her. Uh, she was kind of like a combination of a Martha and a Mary. And people could walk into her home, and um, when you're there, I mean, she would, I don't know where she got it from. I don't know where she found the time, but she would have everything that you would need. And I remember when we got home from school, it just looked like we had everything that we needed. And we weren't a wealthy family, but my mother was just so resourceful. And she was so resourceful with people. And my brother-in-law tells the story that when he came to know me, and both him and I, we were leading different youth groups at this time when I was a teenager. And we became friends. And I invited him over to our home after church one Sunday. And he said, wouldn't your mother mind if I come? I said, no, on a Sunday, whoever comes, she always has food for them. And we normally had Sunday lunches. And he came. And um, I thought he was coming because he really liked me. But it turned out that he really liked my sister. And he really liked my mom's cooking, and he still raves about it today, and he's the one who looks after my mother today. Um, and he says, people don't realize what an amazing woman she was. And it's true, when we get older, people forget who our parents were. And my mom was like that, and I get the feeling that Martha and Mary and Lazarus the three siblings together were a family like that. You could just walk into their home and you didn't even have to say a whole lot. 
you could just sit down and it just seems like that things happened within that home. And I think Jesus just got away from even his team, his 12 disciples. He got away from the crowds and even from his own family, immediate family. And then he would go to Martha and to Mary and to Lazarus. They were really, really good friends. And out of this context, we find this amazing passage of Scripture. And my friends, there is something really special when you look at that because we see the nature of the Son of God. When he came to earth, he never ceased to be God. But he was also totally the Son of Man as well. And so you will see that in the book of John, um, not only does John speaks about him as the Son of God, just a little bit later on, he speaks and he mentions to us about the Son of Man. You know, and we see that he was 100% God, never separating himself from his deity. But he was also 100% human. He was man, yet without the Adamic sinful nature because he was born of the Holy Spirit through Mary. Miraculously. But we see here the humanness of Jesus that he needed just some people where he could just sit down and he could just relax and be refreshed by them. Now, I've no doubt that when Jesus came, he refreshed others. Don't you think so? Just because of who he is. Just refreshed by them. And so we see this humanness, and when we go through the story, we see so much of this amazing man, Jesus, that we have fallen in love with. This man who has invaded our lives and completely transformed us. And we just see the devotion that Mary and Martha in particular have towards him. After the account of Lazarus, we don't hear that much about Mary. I mean, I'm sorry, not that much about Martha, but we do find the Marys in plural at the latter start of Jesus' life. And you've got to find out who Mary Magdalene is and the other Marys are Mary, mother of Jesus. And so when you read those last accounts, just to find out who are there. But we see that Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was there until Jesus' death. And she really loved him. And we'll see just a little bit later on in the next chapter or two, we'll, um, well, as a matter of fact, in the chapter preceding this, we'll see just how Mary anointed Jesus' feet and how prophetic that was of his death upon the cross. And so this morning, you know, when we look at the context of this, I want us to go to John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And I just want to speak about a life that keeps on speaking. A life that keeps on testifying. And I want to speak a little bit just again about these three wonderful individuals who became a family unit. 
and who was precious to Jesus, and Jesus was precious to them. Um, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And so I hope that you've turned in your Bibles to it or on your phones. And those of you at home, I hope that with a cup of coffee next to your Bibles, that um, we could just look together at the scripture here. John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover. That was pretty close to Jesus' death. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, where Jesus had raised whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Again, who gives the Jesus? The, uh, uh, um, who gives um, this dinner in the honor of Jesus? It is Martha. First name there. She knew how to serve. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold? and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. A life that keeps on speaking. Verse 11, on account of him, many of the Jews were going out to Jesus and believing in him. Henry Lackaby says this, how you live your life is a testimony of what you believe of God. And we see out of the story of Lazarus, we see that he lived his life in such a way that people were touched and they started to believe in God. I remember 
some of the times when I came to Reiner and he was working on my teeth. And just before he presses the button for the chair to go from this position to this position, he says, let us pray. And when you go to the dentist, you never know whether it's your last moment or not. <laughs> so I wasn't sure whether he was praying for resurrection power, as we look here. But he prayed before we did it. And some of his carers next to him who helped him um, weren't necessarily believers over the years. And so the way that Reiner lives his life is a testimony of what he believes about God. And Lazarus lived his way and his life in the same manner because he believed in God. And that's the thing that has touched me for many years is that the way that I live my life is a testimony of what I believe about this God. Lazarus, the Bible says, was someone who um, had a friendship with Jesus, but even more importantly, Jesus had a very close friendship with him. We see that when we go back to last week's message, we find Lazarus in a situation where he had died. And the two sisters expressed their hope that Jesus would have come earlier, and we remember that he did it. He took his time. And when the time was right, he came. But we also see just how Jesus responded towards Lazarus when he had died. And we see something of his humanity coming out because the Bible said that he wept. The shortest verse in the scripture, Jesus wept. That he wept when he saw Lazarus, and when you understand when he walked into the tomb, it was in the form of a cave, and I watched a little clip the other day about what this cave looks like, and, and it was literally a cave that was made in the form of a tomb, and so when Jesus walked in, and he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, apparently he had to shout. And we see that Jesus shouted, and some people note they said that if he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, if he only said, come forth, they said that all of the other people would have been raised from the dead. <laughs> but he said specifically, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus rose from the dead. And it's amazing that as he came in chapter 11, out of the grave, as it were, out of the tomb. We see that um, Jesus instructs those around Lazarus, and they say, take off the grave clothing. Take it off. You can imagine, I mean, I think it's quite a hilarious scene. Lazarus coming out of the tomb, people around, and, and, and he's in this mummy-like state of form, because you've got to remember the Jews didn't embalm. It was a, bombing was an Egyptian ritual that they went through. So that's why so often, you know, Mary and them went to the tomb to perfume the body because it was smelling at that time. But you can imagine that as he was raised from the dead, I've got so many questions to ask Jesus what happened in that moment, that the stench 
stench leave that very, very moment when life came into the body, I wonder. Because the Bible says that there was a stench there already because he was already dead for four days. And so we see that Jesus walks in there and we see that Jesus gets involved with Lazarus' life. You know, my friends, the wonderful thing is when Jesus gets involved in our lives, my friends, he wants to get involved fully into our lives. Every part of who we are, he wants to be involved in our lives. And we see that he gets involved in Lazarus' life and as it were, he leaves no stone unturned. Now, when he removed the stone, he said, remove the stone. It wasn't for Lazarus's benefit or for his. It was for the people there. But nevertheless, he looked at all of the details. And when he spoke to Lazarus, and he said, came forth, resurrection life was breathed into that dead body. And that dead body came alive. The clutches of death could not hold him. Sin could not destroy him. And the devil could not reign over him. Because the resurrection life of God raised him up from his death. Now, you would say, well, Jesus did raise others from the dead before that. That's true. Jairus' daughter, he did. Uh, we, we do remember that account. He's raised others from the dead. But this was enormous. <laughs> Jairus' daughter was just dead for a very small time. This was four days. But my friends, it doesn't matter what the situation is. When Jesus speaks into a situation, life comes out. And within this life, we see that it defied all reason, all logic. And it was so that this life could keep on speaking about the things that he has seen and the things that he had experienced. And that is what a testimony is. A testimony is that which we've seen with our own eyes and what we've experienced within our faith. And Lazarus, by mere way of just being around, would draw the attention of other people, the Jews, to the point where chapter 12 verse 9 says that the Jews wanted to kill him again because people came to know Jesus and they were converted to Jesus because of Lazarus. My friends, we can get so spiritually minded where we say, oh, well, Jesus is going to touch those people in any case. My friends, he chooses to work through us. And we see that he works through Lazarus here. As a matter of fact, he worked then through Lazarus. And even today, we keep on telling the story of Lazarus. My friend, Lazarus still speaks today. That's how powerful the resurrection life is that he keeps on speaking. My friends, firstly, a life that keeps on speaking is a life that has been supernaturally touched by Jesus. I want to ask you today, have you ever been touched supernaturally by Jesus? 
That is the life that carries on speaking about him. John chapter 3 speaks about this supernatural touch that I'm talking about and subsequent supernatural touches of God. But it has to start at this point in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And this is what John chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 says. Now there was a man, or there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Repeat those words. Is that a natural event? It's a supernatural event. My friends, a life that has been supernaturally touched by God is a life that keeps on speaking. And then, he says, how can someone be born? He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. He kind of profiles the natural here, born of water, but also born of the Spirit. My friends, you got to be born supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to have eternal life in your life. And I always preface it because we come from so many different walks of life here within our church. When I grew up, I do not know the moment or the day when I was supernaturally born by the Spirit. My experience is different from yours. But I remember as a young boy, maybe five, six, seven years of age, a desire just welled up within me that wasn't a natural desire. It wasn't normal. It was something that was larger than myself, and I started to have a desire after God at that young and tender age. And I still remember my mom reading Bible stories to us from a green book Bible, which is called the Kinder Bible in my language. And it was a thick green uh, story Bible, and I used to just hang on every single word that my mom read. Why? Because something supernaturally, even at that young age, happened within my life. My friends, we cannot put an age on these things. Amen? Because it's supernatural. It's not natural. If you want to put a natural event, you could put an age on that. And you can box it into your little box or my little box. But when it's supernatural, you cannot box it up. And put a, row, a, a, a bow on it and write on it. No, my friends, when it's supernatural, it is God invading our lives and he reveals himself to us. That's the type of supernatural touch that I'm talking about this morning. And when that happens, it is amazing there comes times. And I remember there was a time within my life where I started to understand sin. And I started to understand what Jesus meant. And I started to 
understand what the Christian life and things unfolded and I knew that I had been supernaturally touched by God. How about you? Can you say that you have been supernaturally touched by God? I know when I talk to several of you, and I've been involved in the lives of so many people over the years. I remember my dad at the age of, it was, it was close to, you know, he had retired, and he was in a service within the church we led, and I preached that Sunday, and my dad never really had a touched, been, had been touched by God, and I remember that moment. When my sister took his hand and she said to my dad, he was in his mid-60s, he said, Dad, don't you think it's time? He says, yeah, I think it's time. And my sister took my dad's hand and they went up. And that morning, God supernaturally touched my father. And he experienced what we are talking about, the born-again experience. My friends, none here or elsewhere, who hears the gospel, who do not accept the gospel, who refuses the gospel, will be born again, and they will not go to heaven. My friends, to go to heaven, you've got to be born again. Got to be born again. And I say this out of a real sense of love for you. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit. That means that you need to confess Jesus as being the Son of God. You've got to confess it. It is with your lips that you confess and you need to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you'll be saved. That's the pathway to everlasting life. And I want to encourage you today, if you never have been touched supernaturally by Jesus, and again, I want to say this to you, each experience is different. Have you heard that? But the fact is that you need to be born again. The way, remember last week we spoke about how Jesus approached Martha. Martha was very factual. She had a good understanding of theology. And she answered Jesus in wonderful ways. And Jesus still said to her, do you believe? And she said, I believe. <laughs> Mary, a little bit differently. Mary, very emotional. You know, she just let everything out there when it came to her feelings and her heart, when she was moved, fell at the feet of Jesus, worshipped him, got the perfume, prepared him actually for his burial. That's what scripture says. This passage here. She was generous with what she had. And she just put it all out there. Jesus dealt differently with each of us. And even when it comes to being born again, saved, that is what happens. My friends, there is no such thing as a born-again Christian and a Christian. A Christian is someone who's been born again. Let's just make that very, very clear here today. Because people say, well, as a Christian, have you been are you a born-again Christian? No, are you a Christian? Because a Christian is someone who's been born again. And Jesus made it because he spoke to a very religious man here. And if anyone could get it right, it was him, but he never could get it right. As Ken spoke 
a few weeks ago when he said that under the old covenant, you could try and get everything right, but you would always just fail. The new covenant is a better covenant. It's a better person with better promises. And that is what happens when we get saved. Jesus breathes his spirit within us. And in a very spiritual way, he would say to us, um, rise up from the dead. Because our spirits are dead until Jesus breathes life into it. And we see that this is what happens here. A life that keeps on speaking is a life that has been supernaturally touched by God. And it starts when we are born again to become a Christian. And then out of that, God touches us supernaturally over the course of our Christian walk. And my friends, you've got to have a theology to incorporate that. That God touches us supernaturally in all kinds of ways. If not, you're living way short of the fulfilled promise of God through Jesus. I will never step back because of what I believe. Remember, how you live your life is a testimony of what you believe of God. And you've seen, even within the church context, if someone is sick, I don't ask questions, I just say, can I pray with you? Because I believe a God who is able to heal. That is what I believe of God, and that's the testimony of my life. I've seen God do it countless times. Countless times. You have a half a theology if you don't believe that. Do not walk in the full provision of God. Now, of course, I always have to clarify this, and I wish I don't have to. God doesn't always heal. And we see that, that this sickness unto death was for him to be glorified. And we do that. Not all of us get healed. It's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. And God is the author and the giver of life. But I believe in the supernatural interventions of God within the lives. As a matter of fact, the Gospels are written around that. And even in the book of Acts, even as Peter walked down the roads, his shadow fell on people and people were miraculously healed. Oh. How many of you know that I'm getting sidetracked? So much to say to you about these things. Because we come from so many different walks of life. And we connect the dots so poorly to have a whole theology. You either have the one who's extreme on this or the other one who's extreme on that. And I wish we could connect the dots better. Because we will embrace more of what God has for us. But there is something of our God, 
who is a God who steps into the moment and he does things. And if you're outside of that moment, sometimes you don't experience the full blessing of God. You say, what do you mean, Pete? You know, oftentimes I think about that situation in the book of Acts where the angel of God would come and he would stir the water and whoever could get into the water got healed. How unfair about those people who couldn't get there. The moments of God. God is a God who wants us to step into the moment of what he does. I mean, Peter, walking down the road, his shadow fell on people and people got healed. How about those people with, maybe Peter was as short as I am and his shadow didn't extend that far. Those poor people. And I say, well, what about them, God? Why, why didn't they get healed? You know, I've settled that factor. All that I do is because of my faith in God and because um, my testimony I live out because of what I believe of God is that if someone is sick, I just pray for them. And whether they get healed or not, that's up to God. And I'm pretty comfortable with that. And so I pray for everyone who I can. Why don't you start doing that? Just pray for everyone. Leave the consequences up to God. I love Charles Stanley. He died, I think, at the age of 90. He's the father of Andy Stanley, who uh, they men who preached the gospel. But Andy Stanley preached the gospel for something like, like 72 years. And I remember what, what he said. And one of his life principles was this. He said that, obey God and leave the consequences up to him. I kind of like that, don't you? Obey God and leave the consequences up to him. And so it doesn't just come from healing. My friends, if you're sick, and I've said to people, if you're sick, phone me. I will bring oil and I'll pray for you. Do you know how few people actually phone me? Now, don't all of you phone me next week. I would mind. Because you see, what I believe about God is my testimony. Lazarus was supernaturally touched by Jesus. And as a result, verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of Jesus alone. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. My friends, what do you believe about Jesus? What is your testimony about his touch upon your life? Have you experienced the new life of God? And I think I probably, with me being sidetracked, need to leave it here so I don't keep you for too long. But my friends, a life that keeps on speaking is a life that's been supernaturally touched by God. 
And then let me just mention the second and third point and then close. A life that keeps on speaking is a life that walks in the resurrection power of Jesus. His amazing grace. And a life that keeps on speaking is a life that lives for the glory of God. But I look at this precious family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Out of that personal experience that they've had with Jesus, and then the supernatural experience that they had with him, their lives keep on speaking.